All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have everybody here in Florence. Thanks so much for showing up. Can we welcome our Faith Church family in the Shoals? Can we welcome them in Lawrenceburg? It's great to have all of you in the house, everybody watching online. Thanks so much for being here. Come on, we say it every week that we believe that Jesus, he is the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe if you'll open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Come on, how many people really already know that's true? Come on. Well, listen, I would be remiss if I didn't say Happy Mother's Day. Come on to all the moms at all of our campuses. Happy Mother's Day. I heard Jim Gaffigan, a comedian, him say this about moms. that It's, you know, moms really are a miracle. They have the ability with their body to grow a baby in their body. And not just grow a baby in their body, but then to give birth of a baby through their body and then through another miracle. They can actually feed a baby with their body. And when you think about man's contribution to life, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. Well, listen, we are today starting a brand new series entitled The Box. Everybody say The Box. The Box. What I want to have this conversation about, let me just say this, oftentimes here at Faith Church, not all the time, but if you're new here, you need to know that typically we teach by series, which means what we will do is we will take a subject or we will take a topic, and then for the next four to six weeks, we will dissect and talk about that topic and how, what God's word has to say and how it applies to our life. Now, oftentimes, if you're only here, maybe a couple times out of the month you're traveling or you only tune in sometimes, you can typically take any one of the messages as a standalone message, and I believe that God will use it to speak to your life. However, it's best to probably get the entire series. I just want to say specifically in this series that we're starting today entitled The Box, it's really important that you try to get the entire series. So if you can't be here, I would just encourage you to take some time to go online. Our messages are always uploaded, audio uh, Sunday right after the church, uh, right after service lets out, and then the video you can capture on our website on Tuesday. So lean into this entire series as, again, we have a conversation on the box. Now, the box, if you're not familiar with the term, the box, what I want to talk about for five weeks is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you know spiritual things, if you've been in church for a while, if you were raised in Sunday school, if um, you know, you've been around the block for a little while, you probably know what the Ark of the Covenant is. And let me just say this, I'm not being irreverent by calling it the box. In fact, the Hebrew word, the word in the Old Testament for Ark is box. So that's why we're going to call it the box. Now, if you're brand new to church or maybe aren't familiar with the term, the Ark of the Covenant, if you're new to spiritual things, if this is your first time in a church, the Ark of the Covenant or the box that we're going to talk about was this religious symbol. It was this, it was this golden, it was this box overlaid with gold and it was central to the worship that God commanded the nation of Israel to follow. So it was this kind of iconic box that was again central to worship. And so it was kind of a cool thing. Now, some of you guys, probably all you know about the Ark of the Covenant is maybe what you learned back in the day from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Come on, do we got any people in the house? We got an Indiana Jones fans, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember watching that movie, and for the first time, if you don't know the movie, Indiana Jones, he's kind of this adventurous archaeologist, and he's out looking for this thing we're going to talk about for five weeks. 
the Ark of the Covenant at the same time Nazi Germany is looking for it because, side note, some historians actually believe that Hitler did look for the Ark of the Covenant because he was looking for anything he thought would help uh, give him the cutting edge to win the war. And he believed, lots of people believe that like this Ark of the Covenant, this religious iconic box somehow held this kind of uh, substance or power to it. And so I remember watching the movie though, and you get to the end of the movie, and I don't know if anybody remembers that, this, but they finally find the Ark of the Covenant and they take the lid off. Anybody remember this? And all these like ghosts come out of the box and like people's faces start melting off. I'm like, oh my gosh. It was a cool movie until not too long after that, I gave my life to Christ, started reading the Bible and found out the Ark of the Covenant is a real thing. I'm like, will my face melt off if I see the box? So what is, here's what I want to talk about today is, what is the box really? What is this iconic thing that the Bible talks about that was central to worship to the nation of Israel? What is the box? Well, what we find out is when God introduces himself to the nation of Israel, when they come out of Egypt, God immediately gives his people two things. And the two things that God gives them is number one, a way to honor him and number two, a way to worship him. God gives them the way to honor him by giving the nation of Israel, his people, the law. What God was saying is, if you'll live in my lane, if you'll do life my way, this is how you bring honor to me. Just side note, if you want to bring honor to God, we choose to live life in a way that honors him the best by following his word. So he said, here's how you honor me. You honor me through the law. How you worship me is through the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is a whole nother. Again, if you're new, just people are like, Ark of the Covenant, tabernacle, where the heck am I? Just hang on. The tabernacle was this, it was kind of like a portable church. The nation of Israel, when they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, before they got their own piece of property in the promised land, they were a nomadic people, which means they didn't have a spot. Like every night they were somewhere different. Like they would stay in an Airbnb. They would sleep over on a friend's couch. Like they were always moving around. And what they would do is when they would get ready to move, they would pack up the tabernacle. They would pack up the portable church and it would lead the way to their next destination. And when they would find the next place that they were going to have a sleepover, they would set up the church in the center of the camp. And so the tabernacle had several pieces of furniture to it. There was something called the bronze altar, and it was the place where they would make daily sacrifices to atone for the sins of the entire nation, which just, by the way, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Is anybody thankful that God sent his son Jesus to be the final sacrifice for all sin, for all humanity forever? Come on, is anybody thankful for Jesus? It not only had a bronze altar, it had this bronze like water basin where the priest would go and symbolically wash themselves. And then in the middle of this area, this portable church, there was actually a building and the front half was called the holy place. And then the back half was the most important part. And it was called the, the most holy place. And in the middle of that was this gold box. Everybody say the box. There was the box and it was in the middle of the most holy place. This box that God had called them to. In fact, here's what God tells Moses, the instructions he gives him in Exodus 25. I want you all to read this with me in all of our campuses. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So I can live among them. Everybody, come on. Y'all are help me read this today. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Why? So I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern 
that I will show you. Have the people make an ark or a box of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. So roughly four by two by two. Verse 22, come on, every voice read it. Why? I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. So God gives them the instructions that part of the worship that I'm giving you, part of the, part of the system of worship, the really a key part is the box, is this gold box. And he says, the whole reason I'm giving this to you is so that my presence can be with you. So if you're taking notes, the ark was a visible reminder of God's tangible presence. This is so important. What it meant was once this box was in place, Every time the nation of Israel saw the box, they had confidence that the presence of God was with them. When they were getting ready to go into battle, oh, it doesn't matter because we got the box. This victory is already ours. When they were going through a season of struggle, they're looking, oh, the box is here. As long as we have the box, it was a visible reminder of the tangible presence of God. As long as they saw the box, it's all good. As long as the box was there, everything going to be all right. Like the box. Come on, what did the box mean? The box meant the presence. Now, I'm just here to tell you something now. When you start thinking about putting God in a box, if you can put your God in a four foot by two foot by two foot box, that's no kind of God at all. So let's just be really clear. The God we're talking about, the God of scripture, the God of the universe, the God who created you and created me in his image to be like him and to follow him and serve him, he is much bigger than a box. The God we serve is transcendent, which means he is not a part of time and space. He is outside of time and space. He existed before he spoke everything that we're a part of into creation. He's outside of it, but at the same time, while God is transcendent, while God is a God who is big and far off, God is also a God who can put his presence in a place. What that means is God has the capacity and God has the ability while he's bigger than time and space to say, I'm going to put my presence in that moment, in that space, and in that place. And the nation of Israel experienced it over and over. Why? Because they had the box. When they would move through the wilderness, they had the box in front of them. And the Bible tells us that there was a pillar of fire that led them at night and a pillar of cloud that led them by day. I don't know where I'm going, but I've got, my, I've got the presence with me. The Bible says when they went over into the into the promised land and they crossed the Jordan River. The box led the way, the presence led the way, and the Jordan River parted and they walked across on dry land. The Bible tells us when they got into the promised land, every battle they fought was because the box was with them. Anybody remember the walls of Jericho? Jericho, Jericho. And what did they do? They walked around the walls and the box was with them. And because they had the box, they had the presence and they didn't have to pull down the walls. God broke the walls down. Is anybody here thankful for the presence of God that breaks walls down, that leads us in our past? Come on, has anybody here ever experienced the presence of God show up in a space, in a place? I got saved because I experienced the presence of God in a space and in a place. Our heart is that you guys show up here and you show up on our campuses and you experience the, the transcendent God would show up in a space and a place where you encounter him and you're changed by him. And so the box, this box represents like God is with us. God is for us. God is on our side. And so it meant so much to the nation of Israel, a visual reminder that God is with us. I want to fast forward. We're going to jump around a little bit. And again, hang with me. Come back and get this entire series. But I want us to jump real quick into the New Testament. So the New Testament, this is about this guy. This guy, his name is Stephen. No association to me whatsoever. We didn't love Jesus, so I'm not named after him, though I wish I was. 
Stephen was the first martyr that we know of after the resurrection of Jesus. And he's talking to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, and he's giving them a quick history lesson. I want you to listen to what he says specifically about the tabernacle, and I want you to pick up on the three time sessions that he talks about. We'll catch it. Watch this. Acts chapter 7, verse 44, verse 45. Here's Stephen talking about the tabernacle. He says, our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan that God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into new territory. Watch this. Then he says, and it stayed there until the time of King David. Interesting. So he says, so God gives the nation of Israel the box. Everybody say the box. Gives them the box in the wilderness. Everywhere they go in the wilderness, the presence of God is with them because they got the box. Then they go into the promised land. And on the way to the promised land, Bible says when they get there, Stephen recounts history and he says they took the box with them. Everywhere they went in the new promised land, they had the presence. How do they know they had the presence? Because they had the box. And then it says this, and we'll come back. It says, and it stayed there the third time. It stayed there until King David. What I want to talk about for just a minute is what happened between two and three, because there's a pretty big time gap. Well, there's a fight that went down that's kind of interesting. If you know anything about the Bible, know anything, you've been in church for a while, kind of the number one enemy that the nation of Israel continues to fight over and over and over and over and over again are the Philistines. Now, if you know anything about the Philistines, is anybody here, any of our camp, anybody here, you keep having the same fight, you got the same fight with the habit or the same fight with an addiction or the same fight with a bad attitude, or come on, is anybody here, you have the same struggle in an area of your life? Just be honest, anybody here, like you tend to deal with the same issue? The issue the nation of Israel was dealing with was this group of people called the Philistines. If you know David, when David slew the giant Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. So in this piece, in this moment we're going to talk about, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, you can read it later on your own, we find out that the nation of Israel is getting ready to go into a cage match with the Philistines. And they're confident that the victory is already theirs. They know that the battle is already won. Do you know how they know that? because they got the box. And if they got the box, they got the, the presence. So like, come on, everybody. And they go in, and you can hear the music. Everybody's fired up. And they go in with this confidence. We're going to win this fight, because we got the box. And if we got the box, we got the presence. And they get there, and they get their rear end handed to them. One of my favorite things that I've learned about being a Southerner now, and I will claim that, is this phrase. They got the brakes beat off of them. 1 Samuel chapter 4 tells us that 4,000 soldiers lost their lives. Now, I don't know if y'all are tracking me, but at this point, for hundreds of years, they won every fight. They won every battle. Do you know why? Because they had the box. And the box, it wasn't just the box, they had the prayer. So they walk into this fight like, I mean, they got it like, right? This is how they walked into the battle like this. We got it. It's a win. And they lost. And they scrambled back to headquarters and they've regrouped 
And they said, you know what happened? I think what happened was we left the box back at headquarters. What we need to do is we need to actually take the box with us. And so they grab the box, the Ark of the Covenant, and they go back for seconds. And they're fired up. I mean, they got like this rocky thing. Dun, 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 dun. And they're going like, man, they're like, we got it this time. And it's going on. And the battle's getting ready to go down. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the camp of the nation of Israel. And people explode. The praise explodes so loud that the ground begins to shake. We got the box. The box is here. Everything's going to be okay. The presence is here. The Philistines hear this explosion of celebration, and they start to panic. Oh. And so the Philistine general says, hey, listen, y'all. Did you hear what's going on across the river? We better bring our A game or we're going to be their slaves. They think they got the box. They think they got the presence. We might lose this. Let's go in. And all of a sudden, you hear it. They're coming down one more time, going head to head. And in this corner with 30,000 soldiers, Israel, and they go in head to head. And you know what happens the second time they go head to head? They get the brakes beat off of them again. This time, they don't lose 4,000 soldiers. The nation of Israel, who had the box, loses 30,000 soldiers. And they run back, the stragglers who didn't lose their life, they run back, and they go home with their tail between their legs. And they're like, what happened? Like, we had the box, and we lost. How is it possible? And they run back to the high priest. His name is Eli. And Eli's like, he's waiting there to hear what happens. And he sees like these last few bloody and battered soldiers running home. He's like, hey, what happened? And they're like, we can't explain it. We had the box, but we lost. And not only did we lose the fight, we lost the box. The Philistines didn't just kick the rear end of the Israelites. They took the sacred box. Eli hears the news and falls over dead. I don't know the time frame, but the way the story is recorded in scripture, it feels like it's almost on top of each other. Right after Eli dies, his daughter-in-law is giving birth. And in the middle of the birth, she hears the news that they've lost the battle and they've lost the box. And she dies in childbirth. But the child makes it out alive. And you know what they call the child? Ichabod. Which in our modern culture means you will get your butt kicked every day in second grade. (laughs) But then... You know what the word Ichabod means? The presence has departed. It's like all of a sudden, they had all this confidence for years that if we got the box, we got the presence. And if we have the presence, we can't lose. And they got into the fight and they lost the fight and they lost the box. And here's, I just want you to know this. The reason they lost the fight is because they lost the presence. They didn't realize the presence had gone, but the presence of God had abandoned the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel had abandoned the presence of God. We just had this conversation not too long ago about this guy by the name of Samson. Remember him? The Bible says the presence of the Lord had departed Samson and he didn't even know it. See, they went into this fight thinking like they could just live however they wanted. And when you read the book of Judges, which is a 300 year history before the time we're talking about right now. And for 300 years, the nation of Israel lives this life of cyclical rebellion where they live life on their own terms. They don't care about the presence of God. They don't honor the presence of God. Excuse me, the presence of God. They don't do anything that really uh, draws the presence of God. But all of a sudden, they just make this idea like, hey, we can live however we want. We can sleep with who we want. 
We can cuss out who we want. We can behave how we want, but God's just going to be all right with it. And God says, no, if you're not my people, I'm not with you. And God taps out and the nation of Israel doesn't even know it. And they go into battle with the box, but not with the presence. Because for 300 years, they treat the presence of God casually. And when you treat the presence of God casually, you will be a casualty. There are battles that you can't win on your own. Some of you in this room are pretty talented and educated, surrounded with great friends and family members. Some of you in our campuses, you have great resources to access in seasons of life. But I just want you to know there is no resource and there is no strength and there is no ability like the presence of God. He will do in you and for you and through you greater than any person, including yourself, can ever do. What I'm telling you is they walked out of this battle wondering how do we lose because they still had the box. And it was never about the box. It was always about the presence. You can have the product and not have the presence. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I, um, I don't like carrying a wallet. Any men here not like carrying wallets? Like I hate, some of you men, like I'm not sure what it is. Some guys, you like carry wallets like that are this, like you still have your high school library card and you graduated in like 1963. You got cars to every store everywhere. Like, I mean, and when you drive in your car, it looks like you got a lean. You don't. You just got a big wallet. I hate fat wallets, and so I hardly ever carry one. So I have this thing I've been doing. I've done it for a long time, and I just realized it, getting ready for this message, that I don't carry my wallet unless I have to. So if I'm going somewhere, I take my wallet and put it in my pocket. So several years ago, or several months ago, I decided to ask a friend out. And uh, anytime you ask a friend out to eat, you need to be the one that pays, like, some of you need to write that down. That's the best thing I'll tell you all day. If you invite them out, at least offer to pay. And so I do this thing when I get out of the car, I grab my wallet and I stick it in my pocket. And then I do this and I don't only do it once. I do it twice because maybe I have Tourette's and this is my tick. I don't know. But I put it in my wallet and then I do this. I, I, I touch my butt. It looks like it, but it's just, a, it's just a pocket pad. And what's crazy is I don't do it once. I do it twice. As soon as I get out, I just make sure... Come on, y'all got to help me. I make sure I got my wallet. And then just before I grab the door and go in, I got my wallet. Why? Because if I got my wallet, I have the resources I need to pay for the product that I'm about to purchase. Are y'all tracking me? So it's just confidence. I got it. I got the wallet. That means I got the resources. So everything going to be all right. So I go into this, uh, I go into this uh, lunch with this guy that I've invited out and uh, you know how it is, you order and you sit down and we're talking and we're joking and whatever, whatever. And the end comes and sometimes it's awkward who's paying. You act like you're going to pay, but you don't really want to pay. But I had planned on paying, so I, I know I got that. So I grab the receipt and I reach into my wallet and because I don't have nine Visa cards and eight MasterCards and 12 debit cards, I have one card. So I read with this confidence, I'm like, I got that. Let me bless you, brother. And I pull my wallet out and my debit card is gone. <laughs> and so it was this awkward like, well, I'm going to go ahead and let you pick this one up and I'll get the next one. What had happened, last place I used my card, I didn't stick it back in my wallet and just didn't. But my point is, 
right? It's, it's not about the wallet. It's about the resources. While the wallet is a symbol of the resources, just because you've got a wallet don't mean you have resources. But sometimes we mistake the two that because they had the box, they had the presence. It was never about the box. It was just symbolic of the presence. What I'm telling you is that you can have the product and not the presence. You can have a building and not have the presence of God. You can have worship and not have the presence of God. You can have Pelotons and light and haze, and we love all those things, but not have the presence of God. And if we show up and sing and we show up in buildings and we show up and do all the stuff that church people do, thinking we've lived as casually as we wanted to live, we will also be a casualty because we need, as a church and as the people of God, we need the presence of God. And I'm just telling you, there's just way too many of us. And as your pastor, I just, I just want you, every single week, we, we are so intentional about the atmosphere we set here. We work so hard to recruit and train and put people so you have an incredible experience. The moment you pull on any campus, there's people there to wave at you and love you and hold doors for you and help you find a seat and love your baby and serve you incredible things. And we work incredibly hard to make sure every detail is in order. That you come out and we sing one song and then a host comes out and a host is out there for five minutes and 37 seconds and he covers welcome first time, second time, giving. It's three easy ways to give and they go through their whole spiel and this is how you register, hashtag love mom. And then we go through three songs and three songs last 19 minutes and 38 seconds. Then there's a bumper, it's 37 seconds and pastor gets up and he preaches for 38 minutes. I got 13 minutes left and we lay it all out. And while all of that is intentional, I want you to hear something. You can have hosting and you can have doors held and you can have everything and it might look good, but it is an empty box because if we don't have the presence of God, we have nothing. Life change only happens. Come on. Is there anybody here again that you experienced life change because the presence of God met you in a space and a place in a moment of time? We got to have the presence. We got to have the presence. What makes us the people of God is the presence of God. God gave them again. He gave them a way to honor him through the law and a way to worship him through the tabernacle. But I want you to listen to what God says in Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 16. I'm sorry, Moses says this. He says, for your presence among us, set your people and me apart from all the other people on earth. What sets us apart? Not buildings, not Bibles, not music. What sets us apart is what? The presence. You know what sets Christianity apart from every other global world religion? Whether it's your Bible or your Quran or your Bhagavad Veda, whether it's your buildings or your temples or your mosques, it's none of those things. What sets it apart is that 2,000 years ago, God made it very clear there's nothing we can do to reach him and connect to him. Religion will not bridge the gap. Good deeds will not close the gap between you and your creator. And so you know what God did? God sent his son, Jesus. You know what the incarnation is? It's God with us. It's his presence with us. And when you give your life to Jesus, it's not just your presence with us, but then the Holy Spirit comes and lives and it's the presence in us. The Bible says that God doesn't live in buildings made with the hands of men. God lives in you as people. And the problem is sometimes it's so easy either to be distracted with life or deceived in life that we start to treat the presence of God very casually where he's not someone we pursue and he's not someone we honor. And for some reason, because we take one scripture and we say, God said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And yes, while that is true, 
in its heart and in its promise and in its essence, you just can't continue to live on your own terms and not expect the presence of God to abandon you. And so what would happen? This is what I want you to hear today. What would happen as individuals? What would happen as a church? What would happen on all of our campuses if we became a people who is consumed to experience the presence of God? I'm convinced marriages could be healed. I'm convinced lives could be restored. I'm convinced that doors could open because the presence of God is everything that marks us as his people. Come on, is anybody thankful for the presence? So I want to just kind of lean back real quick. I got a few more minutes. I want to just lean back and listen to this, but again, how Stephen ends this third time period, right? So again, the box was with him in the wilderness. The box was with him going into the promised land. And then it was there. Watch, listen to what he says. And it stayed there. Everybody say that it stayed there. It stayed there until the time of King David. So where is there? So it was with him in the wilderness. It was with him in the promised land. And then it stayed there. Where is there? Glad you ask. Where it stayed was in this really important place. Remember, the Philistines not only kicked the butt of Israel, but then they took the box. They had the box for seven months. They had the box for seven months, and it created a nightmare for them. Come back next week. We're going to talk about that. It was created such a nightmare. They're like, we got to get this box out of here. And so they take the box, and they pass it on. And I want us just to read this. This is now in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Watch this. It says, so the men, so the Philistines are getting rid of the box, and this is where they put it. So the men of Kariathath Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord, and they took it to the hillside home of Abinadab. Now, I know these are a lot of biblical names, and I'm going to be honest. I don't know how to pronounce these either, but neither do you. And since you assume I'm the professional, I'm right. <laughs> Could be Abinadab. I don't know, but neither do you. So we're just going to go with my, my pronunciation. Come on, anybody read the Bible? You start making stuff up as you go. It's the principle. It's not the pronunciation. True. <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> so they took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. Watch this. And the ark remained in Kerajath Jerem for a long time. Read it with me. How long? 20 years and all. Stop. Listen, listen, listen. I'm almost done. So they got the box. Philistines don't want the box. So they pass it on to this guy, Abinadab, and his son, Eleazar. And they're like, we don't want the box. You take care of the box. And the box was there for 20 years. Do you know what happened in the nation of Israel while they had the box for 20 years? Everything went on as normal. They still sacrificed. They still had everything going on in the temple. What I'm trying to tell you is that the praise continued without the presence. The praise continued without the presence. Church happened without the presence. Gatherings happened without the presence. Isn't it crazy that a church can have services for 20 years without the presence of God when it's only the presence of God that makes really church possible? Empty praise produces empty people. Empty preaching produces empty people. It's just at some point, and I just want to encourage you to get hungry. God, I just need you to meet with me. God, I need to have encounters with you. God, I need to lean in and experience your presence. We're called to be people of his presence. I started, just decided, I've been preaching for about 30 years and love to do what I get to do. And uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm the best at it. Another term besides beat the brakes off is fair, uh, fair to middling. It's another Southern term. So, so I got, we have uh, three young leaders. We've got a lot of young leaders. A lot of churches, the way they grow their staff is 
they'll, grow, they'll go loot other large church staff. That's not how we've grown our staff. What we do is we recognize called and anointed leaders who are young, and if they're faithful with the small opportunities God's given them, the Bible says if you're faithful in small things, I'll make you ruler over much. And so we recognize people who are faithful in small things, and we make them ruler over much. We give them greater opportunities. And so for the 10 years I've been here, we got a lot of young staff and experience, but God's using them. My responsibility is to help grow them. And so three of our young leaders, Ty, Braden, and Matt, our two youth leaders and our young adult leader, I just felt like God called me, man, just invest in them to help them be better communicators. And so with those three and two of our staff pastors, I decided once a week, we're gonna get together and I'm just gonna invest in them. I'm gonna help to what I've learned, what I know about communicating. I'm gonna help them to be better communicators. Anybody thankful for our, our team? Come on. Now, just so you know, they're all going to be on the platform the month of June. They're all going to be up here. We're going to see how they do. I hope you give more than that. They're going to be nervous. So I asked them right out of the gate. I was like, on a scale from one to 10, how would you rate yourself as a communicator? Someone said eight, and I tried not to laugh out loud. You know, I'm a four, I'm a five. And my point was, until you're a 10, you can be better. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you do in life, be the best you can be because you being the best you can be is what brings glory and honor to God. I'm going to be the best employee, the best business owner, the best neighbor. Be the best. That's how you bring. So that means like we should want to grow. We should want to be better. So I've decided to invest in them. So every Monday we get together and I'm teaching them how I prepare. I prepare my message series a year out. I prepare my series about a month out. I prepare the message for the Sunday I'm on about two weeks out and I memorize the week up. Well, you can't do that without some kind a process. So I'm teaching these young community. This is my process. This is how I prepare. This is how I pray. This is how I pull resources. Like, so I'm giving them the whole good, but I want you to hear this. This is what I'm really trying to teach them. I can give you process and I can give you principles. I can give you all the stuff, but I can't give you the presence. And if you get up prepared and you get up with a great message and it's relevant and it's funny and it connects, but it doesn't have the presence of God. All you had was a Ted talk that'll inspire them, but we need the presence of God that'll transform them. We need the presence. It wasn't, it wasn't David Stone or Sling that slew the giant. It was the presence of God. It wasn't the trumpeteers that marched around the wall that brought down the walls of Jericho. It was the presence of God. It wasn't the strength of David or his hair that made him strong. It was the presence of God. It wasn't the staff of Moses that parted the waters. It was the presence of God. It's not how smart you are, or how gifted you are, or how connected you are, or how wealthy you are, or how talented you are. It's going to get you through some seasons of life that you are sure to face. It is the presence of God that you need, I need, and we need. Come on, we need not a box. We need the presence of God. So I got four minutes and five seconds. We're going to end with time on the clock. Maybe. So this box, they don't even realize it's really gone. Like they just go on with life as usual for 20 years and seven months. The box isn't where it's supposed to be. Remember I told you about Eli, the high priest who died? His successor was a guy by the name of Samuel, a guy who really loved the Lord, who wanted the presence of God back in the nation of Israel. And I want you to listen to what the very next two verses say that Samuel challenges the nation with. It says, then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, watch this, if you wanna to return to the Lord, everybody say return to the Lord. Wait a minute, God, what do you mean us return to you? 
You need to return to us. God's saying, I didn't leave you. You left me. If you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, then get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth, which was a false god they fell into worshiping. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshiped only the Lord. You know what God is saying? If you return to me, I'll return to you. If you'll make me a priority again, I'll make you a priority. If you offer me a place for my presence, I'll make sure my presence shows up. So what would happen, Faith Church, in Lawrenceburg and Shoals and Florence, if every time we gathered as a church, if it wasn't just about the songs, is it a song I like? But if we made a place for his presence, what would happen in your life, in your home? If there was really a place where his presence was honored, if his presence was pursued, what would happen in your marriage with your kids? I'm not saying magically everything's better, but I promise you his presence brings change that nothing else in this world can ever offer. What would happen if you and I were people of his presence? Father, I pray that today we would just be challenged. Maybe some of us in this room or one of our campuses, Lord, we've compromised. We were casual with your presence. But Lord, I pray, God, today there would just be a new hunger and a new desire, God, to want you to be the center of our life, to be central to who we are. Make us people of your presence. That We desire you. We hunger you. We pursue you. And Lord, I know, and I pray this over us, that God, as we turn back to you, you'll turn back to us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you gave us a way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be reconnected with our creator. Help every person hearing this message today, God, to lean into your grace and your mercy. If we'll call on you, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Can we stand to our feet? We're gonna sing one chorus together. If you're with me in this message at all of our campuses, come on, let's sing this. Come on.